one day. Last episode. That's when we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, when else? That's, uh, our, that's our finale as we get it right. <laughs> that's our finale of what? Crime culture. Hey. And you're? Haley. Hey. And you're? Caitlin. Woo. Oh, and I got to say right. two things up top. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, one, I already told Caitlin. Um, I <laughs> got a uh, Pixel watch for my birthday from my lovely husband. But I am also now a grandmother, so I don't know how it works, and it might chime throughout this recording. <laughs> I'm going to text Haley. That's one thing. <laughs> Two things. Do I sound far away? Because I am kind of far away from my mic, because there's a cat on my lap, and I can't bear to have him off my lap. So Bean is here. No, you're good. Everybody, everybody knows that the best way to do this is to contort your body so that the cat is not disturbed. And you potentially have like blood loss or shitty audio. It's it's fine. Well, we almost had a full cat lap podcast because you had a cat on your lap moments before we started recording. And then the food came and the food, the, the all feeder off. went off and that was the end of that. Felix needed to get there first. Yeah. And I, nothing was going to hold him back. I could either lose a hand or just let him be free. So I chose the latter. Yeah. And he is. He's going to town. I just looked because if I look just past my monitor, I can see see his little beefy body just going to town. Good for him. And we should all be so lucky. We should. We should. So what are we talking about? We are talking about today. I found a couple of um, like pretty popular songs that were inspired by a crime that wasn't like big enough to have its own episode. So I was like, you know what? We're doing a fucking. That. We're doing a grab bag. We're doing a compilation. Um, so here we go. True or false? Were you inspired by my episode last week? When no, I when I may or may not have also run into the exact same situation. Oh yeah, because last week we did a grab bag too. <laughs> last week we also did a grab bag because totally also grab- there was something on the schedule, and I was like, "Hey, turns out I could t- I could tell this story in fifteen minutes." <laughs> No, this one was uh, this one was planned because uh, I found one story and I was like, "Ooh, that's really good," but not long enough for an episode. Yep. So I need to I need to beef this flesh up, flesh it bit. out. Yeah, beefy and, flesh. Uh, now you're eating on Mike. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's not eating. <laughs> she if took the Nutella an, melts in your mouth. <laughs> she took a giant knife full of a Nutella, dollar, a plastic knife. Let it be known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is off the rails already. Um, so we're going to talk about... Hold on. I'm going to go back and find out how many we're talking about. And, you know, I had more, but then I ran out of time. So um, I might do a part two type vibe to this episode. So we got one, two, a three, and a four. Yeah, we got four stories. That we're talking right. about today and four songs. Some you may know, some might be a little more obscure. The first one, I think, would be uh probably the most obscure one that I'm gonna talk about. And the song is called There Was a Young Man Who Blew Up a Plane by Macabre. Yeah, and that it, sounds about right. Yes, it is inspired by a man named John Gilbert Graham. Oh. And you're like, who's that? Well, Here's who that is. Did he did he not follow the rules 
in because I'm going to guess this first. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what you think happened. All right. Did he not follow the rules of flying in an aircraft? Uh, not him. When, like, and using the lavatory on said aircraft. Did no. he not follow the rules? TLDR, he tried to blow up his mom. Um, oh, yeah. we've got some mommy issues. Quite. You know, it sh- they, then they should have said the man who tried to blow up his mom. Well, we'll get to it. It's so, also a macabre title. John, or he was uh, often called Jack Gilbert Graham, mm. he was born January 23rd, 1932 in Denver, Colorado. Ooh. And he was the child of Daisy Graham and her second husband. And he was born during the height of the Depression. And in 1937, his father died of pneumonia. And that caused Daisy to send her son to an orphanage due to their poverty. Shit. Yeah, she already had a daughter from her previous marriage, and I guess like could not handle like two. A, a, yeah, couldn't handle two, couldn't handle a baby, couldn't afford it. Yeah. So like that, that's gotta fuck you up being sent yeah. to an orphanage as a little tiny babe. Well, and also knowing that your mom had another child that she chose to keep. Yeah, he was like. And he wasn't like an infant. He was like five, something like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's pretty fucked up. So in 1941, Daisy was married for the third time to a man named Earl King, who died shortly after their marriage. And now I kind of want to look into Daisy because Hmm. that's kind of... Yeah, you go, girl, but also... hmm. Batting zero for three there. Um, Using her inheritance from king's death daisy became a very successful businesswoman but despite her newfound wealth she did not go back to the orphanage to collect (gasps) that's so fucked up isn't that fucked up that's so weird oh my god they the two of them remained estranged until 1954 when graham was 22 years old and daisy was running a successful restaurant after their reunion, Daisy and Graham had a poor relationship. Fucking wonder why. I was going to say. And they were often witnessed arguing. In 1955, shortly before the aircraft bombing, spoiler alert, Daisy's restaurant was destroyed in a suspicious gas explosion. Quote unquote gas explosion. Suspicious. Believed to have been deliberately caused by Graham. <laughs> I mean, I'm based on what I'm hearing, though, I'm becoming increasingly Team Graham as yeah. we go. Um, he had insured the restaurant and collected on the property insurance following the explosion. Oh. So it's one of those, like, doing it for the insurance. Yeah. Hmm. So on November 1st, 1955, Daisy boarded a United Airlines flight 629 headed for Portland, Oregon, and then Seattle, Washington. Her ultimate goal was to go to Alaska to visit her daughter. Oh, fuck no. Yeah. <gasps> Graham. That's so fucked up. <laughs> Graham planted a dynamite bomb in his mother's suitcase and dropped her off at the airport. Minutes <sighs> after the plane's departure from Denver, the DC-6B exploded and the flaming wreckage fell to earth over tracts of farmland and sugar beet fields near Longmont, Colorado. There were 44 people on board and no survivors. Fuck. Yeah. I can understand his his feelings, his ill will towards his mother, but why you got to take 43 people down with you? Yeah, right? Like, I'm not saying that she, he should have killed his mom either, yeah. but those 43 people didn't do anything to you. Yeah, exactly. She was a terrible um, mother, but like, I don't know, like... 
frame her for the murder of her three husbands or something yeah, like don't something like that don't be a little more creative I, not even that like don't don't like i don't know man like just well, he don't was, kill people he was a fan of collecting on insurance because his apparent motive for the bombing was to claim the thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars equivalent to about three hundred eighty thousand dollars in 2022 money but in, um that's not even that much though that's yeah. like five it's years t- six years salary or yeah, something so he did it uh to get the life insurance money from the policies he had purchased in the airport terminal moments oh. before the aircraft departed there was like literal like a kiosk for like life insurance my guy you're so bad at crime you're bad at this my dude <sighs> Investigators discovered that Graham had a criminal record for embezzlement by check forgery and illegal transport of whiskey for which he had served 60 days in a Texas prison. Yeah, that one's bullshit. Yeah, whatever. They also determined that Daisy's restaurant had been severely damaged by, like I said, a suspicious explosion earlier that year. And Graham had Graham was the one that had received the insurance settlement. Locals also suspected Graham of deliberately causing his new pickup truck to be struck by a train that year in order to collect on that insurance. Damn. Yeah, dude, you're being like, you're being like too obvious. This sounds like Munchausen's by proxy, but with insurance. Or I guess just Munchausen's, but with insurance. So the FBI obtained use of a nearby barn where they reassembled the fragments of the plane collected from the site. Wow. And they were able to determine the explosives were used and that it had come from certain items of luggage in the baggage compartment. Based on that evidence, as well as interviews, uh, contradictory statements, physical evidence found at Graham's house, and finally a confession, Graham was arrested and charged with sabotage. The charge was later changed to murder, which, yeah. Yeah. Because he murdered 44 people. Uh, He was ultimately sentenced to death and was executed by the state of Colorado in January of 1957. Shit. Yeah. So the song, like I said, is uh, there was a young man who blew up a plane by Macabre. And for some of these other ones, I'll get into like a little bit more like backstory, but there's no real creativity or nuance with these lyrics. <clears throat> I think the story is kind of like itself. a retelling. So I'm just going to read you the lyrics. Here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm not singing it because I think it's also one of those songs that's not really like it's <laughs> song. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Rap lyrics it. are there was a young man who blew up a plane. He blew up the plane for personal gain. I guess he was insane. There was a young man who planted a bomb. He planted a bomb on his mom. He planted the bomb to blow up the plane. He blew up the plane for personal gain. I guess he was insane. There were 44 people who got on the plane. They got on the plane. Then they were slain by the young man who planted the bomb. He planted the bomb on his mom. He planted the bomb to blow up the plane. He blew up the plane for personal gain. I guess he was insane. The judge and jury showed showed no remorse. He's dead, of course. This sounds like all right. It sounds like 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 it you made it up on the spot. It sounds like improv. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like a fucking Raffy song. Like there's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, there's yeah. a flea on the frog on the, the, the bump on the log and the yeah. hole in the bottom of the sea. Like that's what this sounds like. Yeah, that's what this sounds like. Not well, to knock anybody's like artistic Favorite song. <laughs> well, well that i was go- i meant i wasn't going straight for the jugular for the person who wrote it but that's what it sounds like is like yeah. one of those i don't know what kind of co- songs elliot and michael neither of them are here so i can't be like hey what kind of song is that where it just calls back every single yeah. thing but yeah that's wow isn't that fun that's that's a not the crime. I don't know that fun is yeah. I was gonna say I don't know that 
fun is the word I would use to describe it. But that is... It's something. It is something. It is actually something. Yep. That's a song that exists. That's a it's crime for sure. that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my next one is a song called Where Is She by The Killers. Where's Rachel? No. Uh, uh, it is inspired by the murder of Jody Jones. This sounds familiar. Well, I'm going to tell you about it. All right. So Jody Jones was born in 1989, the youngest of three kids in a working class family in Scotland, a place called East Houses. I don't know mm-hmm. regions of Scotland. Okay. Um, both her parents, James and Judy, and I'm going to stop here for a second. I think they're one of those families that they all have the same letter name. Like that time that I said to Michael, hey, I think it's real stupid that pe- when people do that. And Michael, whose initials are MJQ, looks at me That's... as their sister's initials are also MJQ. And I'm yeah, just my, like. <laughs> my friend, uh, her mom, her and her brother all have the initials. Um, I think, th- do they all have the, the initials KCH or is it? They're all like K-H, um, but I don't like it when it, they're like a Duggar family. I was going to say it's worse when it's a Duggar family. It, yeah. Once you start running out of names and, yeah, and, and start making got, up uh, shit with uh, different letters, uh, like on. Stephanie, but it starts with a J. <laughs> yeah. The J is silent, but it's there and that's what matters. Yeah. So we're all of the women in that family. Um, <laughs> but so both of... Jody's parents, James and Judy, worked for the Royal Mail. Jones was described as bright, level-headed, and a headstrong child who displayed a flair for painting and poetry and who was particularly close with her older sister, Janine. And that's why I'm getting the J. We got the J here. names, yep. Lots of JJs. Yep. Um, she was affectionately known by her mother as her, quote, we mentor, end quote. Oh, Isn't that so cute? Yeah. Um, so... Her life was pretty rough growing up. In 1998, Jones's father committed suicide, and his death obviously caused great distress in the family, and Jones's mother gave up work in order to care for her three children. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, Jones developed a streak of rebellion. I mean, as Who one always does, and also in what she's grown up with. Like, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, she was known to have frequently dyed her hair different shades of pink or green. Um, she developed an interest in heavy metal bands such as Metallica, and by age 14, she was said to have experimented with smoking weed and drinking. I don't think, like, I don't think ultimately any of those things are, like, Outlandish. A huge, yeah, huge cause for concern. 14, I think, is a little young to be drinking and smoking, but uh-huh. we've talked about this before. But you know what? It's not like she was fucking shooting a heroin under a bridge. Like, yeah. And like, like, like dyeing your hair and like listening to like, like different music like that. Like, that's not cause for a concern. Everyone say. goes through those phases. It's fine. It's not like she was listening to Macabre. Yeah. <laughs> that horrible song about the man. The she had blind. taste. She yeah. had taste. Metallica. Um, so when she started dating her boyfriend, Luke Mitchell, she initially kept their relationship a secret from her family, confiding only in her sister, Janine. How old was Tr- Luke Mitchell? Uh, I'll get to it. About the same age. Okay. They're like, okay, I think okay. like a year apart. Okay. Um, okay. shortly thereafter, Janine, who was 19 at the time, informed her mother of her younger sister's boyfriend. In May 2003, Mitchell met the Jones family for the first time. Mitchell was the younger of two kids and his parents had separated when he was 11. He was raised by his mother, Corinne, who, uh, 
I mean, kept their family in relative comfortable circumstances in New Battle. Uh, he had hobbies that were uh, riding horses and motorbikes. He liked music. Um, and he was considered a good student, although one teacher is known to have expressed concern about the violence he wrote in an essay that he had written. Mm, uh-oh. That's, I mean, a little bit red flaggy, but also, uh. like, uh, I mean, I host this podcast now, and I took a creative writing class, so you can only imagine um, some of the spooky shit that I had written. Okay, that's fair. Um, but Mitchell was the school year above Jones, and allegedly supplied her and various other students with weed on school premises, not so chill. Mm. The two began a relationship around February 2003 when they were both 14. So they they, they okay. overlapped in ages. Like he, he was yeah. going to turn 15 a little bit before her. Um, Mitchell was Jones's first serious boyfriend. Yeah. And Jones quickly became pretty attached to Mitchell and their relationship soon became sexual. One entry in Jones's diary dating from the spring or early summer of 2003 reads, quote, I think I am actually in love with Luke. Not in the stupid way. I mean real love. God, I think I would die if he finished with me. If I, if I am crying, he hugs me and strokes my face. He is just so sweet. No matter what he says, I believe him, end quote. Oh, honey. Yeah. 14. I mean, yeah. we've all been there. And um, I mean, sometimes it works out. 14. Yeah. Look yeah, at you. That's me. That's I was me. gonna say that was that was Elliot. Elliot yeah. was fourteen. He was writing the same things about you in his diary. I'm sure he was. Yeah. Um, shortly after Mitchell was introduced to the family, like I said in mm-hmm. May of 2003, Jones was in trouble with her mother when she found out that she had been using drugs. I mean, weed, yeah. not just not like hard drugs or anything. Not shooting up heroin under a bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you she so aptly was, said. She was forbidden to see Mitchell for some time, but that ban was lifted by June 30th, 2003. All right. On that day, about 5 p.m., Jones left her house and told her family she was going to see Mitchell. And her body was found several hours later on the route she (gasps) usually took to see him. She had been bound and murdered. Oh, my God. Yes. (gasps) Jones's body was located in a wooded area behind a high wall along a Rose Dyke Path. Um, she had been killed with a knife. Ugh. The injuries sustained closely resembled those of actress Elizabeth Short, who was murdered in 1947 oh. and was popularly referred to in the media as the Black Dahlia, mm-hmm. which obviously we'll be doing an episode on. Um, the initials LM and JJ had been carved in a tree near the crime scene. Now, obviously, that's Jody's and Luke's initials. That's but it. also <laughs> that, like... It didn't say anywhere that I had found if those were, like, just carved in. Because Uh this is, like, also they said, like, this is the path that she always took to see him. So, like, maybe, like, if they were together and they walk back and forth and back and forth along this path to get to each other's houses all the time, like, it's feasible that they could have carved into a tree at some point, their initials. Um, So that wasn't clear in any of the research that I found. So... Oh, Bean. (laughs) I don't know if anyone heard that, but he did squeak. Um, So the when um, when Jody didn't initially like arrive at his house and then Mm -hmm. didn't arrive home, the family went to go search for her. Yes. And so did um, Mitchell. And so his dog, which was being trained to track, allegedly stopped at a V-shaped notch in the wall where Mitchell climbed through and located her body at 1030 p.m. (gasps) Yes, yeah, so he found her. Oh my god! Um, so that's while 
like I said, her family was also out searching uh, for her and they remained on the other side of the, the wall because they, yeah. they didn't like crawl through. Well, and he's like 50, a 15 year old boy. He probably could fit. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little sketchy. The ease in which Mitchell was able to find the body was used in court to suggest guilt. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the Jones family made it known that Mitchell was not welcome at the funeral. <gasps> oh, so, shit. Yeah, so they obviously had some suspicions about him. Yeah. School authorities cited concern about Mitchell's safety in unsuccessfully attempting to prevent him to return to school. Two months after the murder, he was suspended after objected after he objected to being separated from other students. Damn. Because, like, like it... I think everybody was like a little suspicious yeah. of him. Yeah. So after the discovery of the body, Mitchell was initially questioned as a witness and he quickly became the main focus of the investigation and is known to have uh, incinerated the clothes he wore on the day of the murder. Oh, buddy. Yeah, not great. Ten months later, he was arrested and charged with the crime. He was also charged with possession of a knife or knives in public places including St. Davis High School and also of supplying weed to students mm. uh, the timing of this meant that he could be tried as an adult in court police were later criticized for infringing his human rights by questioning him without a solicitor present okay so yeah so that's obviously not good yes um, during a search of his house detectives confiscated a copy of the golden age of grotesque by Marilyn Manson containing the short film Dolpenhurst, I think is how you say it. It was purchased two days after Jones's death. And there's a 10-minute excerpt from the film, as well as several paintings by Manson depicting the Black Dahlia's mutilated body, and they were presented as evidence during the trial. But he bought it after she died. Yes. So, like... I don't know. Like, uh, this, that that part, whether whether he did it or not, because I know you're going to get to it, like, that part no, that, no, that's, to me, No, that's like, what I got. Okay, well, yeah, that reads to me like, like, like satanic panicky. Like it's just yeah. very it. Like okay, so the kid listened to Marilyn Manson and he had this thing that also depicted the Black Dahlia, and yes, she died in a similar manner to the Black Dahlia. But it's it's like, and just because you do weed not... doesn't mean you're a terrible person. But no. also, I don't know enough about him to say he definitely right. did it or he definitely didn't do it. Right. So right. I don't know about. I don't know about my judgment on that subject. Right. Um, but, but the I song, think there's a lot of... Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, the song, the killer's singer, Brandon Flowers, told music news site NME in 2005, it's okay, B, that their <laughs> song, uh, Where Is She?, was about the death of Jody Jones, quote, written from her mother's perspective, end quote. Mm -hmm. He later went on to clarify his remarks, saying, quote, a quote I gave in NME last week about the inspiration behind one of our new songs, Where Is She, came across kind of badly, and I'd like to clarify as uh, clarify this as I'd hate to cause offense or further hurt because of it. I was so indeed inspired to write Where Is She after I saw coverage of the Jody Jones murder because, uh, sorry, uh, saw coverage of the Jody Jones murder case while we were on tour in Scotland last year. It affected me deeply, and got me to thinking about how awful it must feel to be a parent of a missing child, how powerless a person must feel in such a dreadful situation. The song is not a direct portrayal of that one story, though there's no way on earth I would I could ever possibly pretend to know what it might actually feel like to suffer such a thing, and I wouldn't presume to be appropriate in another individual's feelings for a song. 
Rather, mm-hmm. seeing those news stories got me thinking about the powerlessness and frustration that must come from losing a child like that. And it was from those thoughts that where is she came to be. End quote. Okay. And I think that is a, a beautiful explanation yeah. to clarify that he wrote the song kind of from the mother's perspective, being like, no, no, no I didn't write it from like her, her perspective. I wrote it from yes. the uh, the overarching perspective of somebody who has lost a child. And I, I did he get flack i don't think so because i was gonna say that's nice to just kind of you didn't have to roll that back yeah because he 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 gave that one that initial statement and then a week later he was like hey i just want to clarify like maybe he like thought on it or maybe like other people said something to him directly but he just wanted to clarify that which i thought was really good and I'll, i'll talk more in probably like a separate episode um, there is like a whole, um, there's a whole thing with the killers with like a, a murder through line of like one of their albums oh. or like EPs or something. Uh, yeah, I found that also while researching, but it's like, I can't include that here. So, um, I'll get to that at a different time. Um, my next one is a much more popular song that people probably know. Um, it's a popular case as well. And I'm going to throw out a trigger warning for gun violence just because um, that is kind of the whole case here. Um, the song is called I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. <gasps> yeah. And yeah, the case is the Brenda Spencer school shooting. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, trigger warning. I'm going to be I talking about this for a little bit. I think we've gotten requests to cover this case. Really? Because I didn't fi- I didn't think it could cover an entire episode. That's why no. I wanted to include it here. Because yeah, obviously I'll do it. Because obviously there are songs that are inspired by Jeffrey Dahmer, inspired mm-hmm. by Ted Bundy and stuff like that. I, I wanted to do ones that are like a smaller case mm-hmm. that is just like, OK, this is what the case is. Somebody was inspired enough to write a song about it. There's not like a ton that we can go off of. Um, but yeah, so. I will spoil um, somebody that I'm talking about in the next episode I'm working on has so many songs that I did not know were inspired. Um, But that's very exciting. So again, Brenda Spencer, school shooting, trigger warning. She doesn't like Mondays. She does not like Mondays. Who does? Garfield and Brenda Spencer. I was. (sighs) Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's I true. I'm sorry already. <laughs> I don't. I don't think she is sorry. Just let that be known. No. Um. So on the morning of January 29th, 1979, children began to line up outside of Grover Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego, California, mm-hmm. and they waited for their principal to open up the school's gates. Across the street, 16-year-old Brenda Ann Spencer was watching them from her house, which was filled with empty whiskey bottles and a single mattress that she allegedly shared with her father. She had skipped class that day, as she often did, and later claimed that she had washed her epilepsy medicine down with alcohol. Oh, my God. Yeah, not something you want to do. Spencer grew up relatively poor and had a troubled home life. She lived with her father, Wallace, who she would later claim was abusive, and said her mom, quote, just wasn't there, end quote. According to acquaintances who knew Spencer, she dabbled in drug use and petty theft as a teenager. A week before she carried out the shooting that would make her infamous, she allegedly told her classmates that she was going to, quote, do something big to get on TV, end quote. Mm. 
Go yeah. on Star Search. Yeah, do something productive. Like, don't do that. Yeah. So as the children lined up outside of the gate, Spencer took out a twenty-two semi-automatic rifle that she'd received as a Christmas gift from her father, Wallace. Why? Why are we still gifting our children guns? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a quote from it here or I might have a quote from it here that I'll say later. But um, if just in case I didn't, she did say that, like, she received a gun. She's like, well, I actually wanted, like, something else, but he just gave me a gun. So, like. (sighs) I guess that's how much he cared. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my she god. sounds like she sounds like her life was a huge bummer, but also fuck that for doing this. Yeah, I was gonna say um, that's not the right like that doesn't give you the right to yeah. to do what we're about to talk about. But at the same time, like if your kid says they want something and it's not gonna like hurt them or hurt others. Yeah. Like I, I hate that bullshit of like, oh well if I don't think if I don't think the thing that you want is interesting or good enough, then I'm not gonna get it for you. I'm gonna get yeah. you what I want. Like that's yeah. bullshit. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that to your kid. Yeah, it's fucked up. Um, so then she took aim uh, out the window and began firing at the children. The principal of the school, Burton Rag, was killed during the attack. A custodian, Michael Sukar, was also killed as he attempted to pull a student to safety. Miraculously, none of the children were killed, although eight of them were injured. A responding wow. police officer was also wounded. For 20 minutes, Spencer continued to fire about 30 rounds into the crowd. 20 minutes? Yes. Then she put the rifle down, barricaded herself inside her house, and waited, which is the most chilling fact. Soon after the police arrived on the scene, they realized that the shots had come from Spencer's home. Though the cops sent negotiators to speak with her, she refused to cooperate with them. According to the San Diego Police Museum, she warned authorities that she was still armed and threatened to, quote, come out shooting, end quote, if she was forced to leave her house. In all, the standoff lasted over six hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. During this time, Spencer gave her infamous interview with the Chicago, the San Diego Union Tribune over the phone. The most famous line being um, being when she was asked why she carried out the shooting. She said, quote, I just did it for the fun of it. I don't like Mondays. This livens up the day. I have to go now. I shot a pig, I think, and I want to shoot more. I'm having too much fun. End quote. What? Yeah, pig being a cop. Oh, yes, 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 yes. No, no, yeah. no. I got it, oink. But like. She's not also on a bar, <laughs> like a farm. Um, eventually there are not Spencer... many farms in San Diego. <laughs> no. Eventually, Spencer surrendered peacefully. One negotiator remembers promising her a burger king whopper before she finally came outside oh my god get burger king sponsor you're gonna but you're gonna go burger king yeah, really right? that's what's gonna get you out of that what the who the fuck are you scooby-doo like just there's some floating out of the house in to the area. wafting smell yeah yeah you're in fucking san diego there's there's more than just good tacos nope, not just the tacos uh, in the aftermath of the attack it was revealed that spencer had shot at the school one year earlier with a bb gun Though she damaged the windows, she didn't hurt anyone at that time. She had been arrested for that crime as well as burglary, but ultimately received probation. Just a few months after the BB gun incident, Spencer's probation officer had suggested that she spend some time in a mental hospital for her depression. But Wallace Spencer reportedly refused to admit her, claiming that he could handle his daughter's mental health issues on his own. Oh, yeah. Uh, Instead, he purchased the weapon that his daughter would later use as a target at the school. 
Oh, and this is this is the quote. Sadly, Spencer said of the gift, quote, I asked for a radio and he bought me a gun. I felt like he wanted me to kill myself. End oh, quote. my God. Yeah. Like, it, that's a horrible, like, way to feel, too. Like, to yeah. just to think that your your parent wants you dead. Like, that's just. <sighs> yeah. And 16 is like a rough age. Yeah. You, like, to not have a mother around and to have, like, a father that is abusive and like it's just yeah. not great it's it's i mean it doesn't that's take your to, mental health seriously yeah and that's not to justify it's more like we're lamenting that this all could have been avoided maybe i like, mean she could have still been in that mindset or something it doesn't say like she i did it because of this right. person yeah right um but her attorney considered pursuing an insanity plea but it never came to fruition and although Spencer had been only 16 at the time of the shooting, she was charged as an adult due to the severity of the crime. Wow. Yeah. As reported by the San Diego Union Tribune, she pleaded guilty on two counts of murder in 1980. And although nine counts of attempted murder were ultimately dismissed from the case, Spencer was sentenced to concurrent terms of 25 years to life in prison for her crimes. Yeah. Her attorneys continued to argue that the treatment she received from her father, which allegedly included sexual abuse was the reason for her act of senseless violence. Um, this just a note here. Um, Wallace Spencer later married one of his daughter's 17 year old cellmates. Nah. Um, who bore a striking resemblance to her. No. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Nah. Mm-mm. No, not great. Not great. No, 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 uh, no, no, But this no. argument never swayed the parole board. To this day, 60-year-old Brenda Spencer remains locked up in prison at the California Institute for Women in Corona, California. Oh, wait. Really? Yeah. That is right by where I used to work. I used to work Wild. in Norco, which is literally, it was Northern Corona, and then it broke off in the 20s. Like... I was right by... Oh, my God. Say hi to Brenda. I will not. Okay. Uh, but the song, I Don't Like Mondays. Yes. Written by Bob Geldof and Johnny Fingers. I'm sorry? That. Johnny Fingers of That's the Boomtown Rats. The song was the Irish New Waves Band's second mm-hmm. single to reach number one on the UK charts and was featured as the lead single for their third album titled The Fine Art of Surfacing. The song was number one in... Uh, the UK singles charts for four weeks during the summer of 1979. Uh, you'll also remember that this uh, crime happened in 1979. Mm-hmm. So um, that was quick. Recent, yes. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and it ranks as the sixth biggest hit of the UK that year. Mm-hmm. The highest it reached in the US Billboard Hot 100 was number 73. The song was first released just six months after the shooting. But the first time it was performed was only a month after. Whoa. That's that's a little too, like, ambulance chasey for me. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, Geldof explained how he wrote the song in an interview, saying, quote, I was doing a radio interview in Atlanta with Johnny Fingers, and there was a telemex machine? Telex machine? I I don't... I have no idea. I have no fucking clue what that is. Um... Uh, is it a fax machine? I don't know. Um, Maybe. I read it as it came out. Not liking Mondays as a reason for doing somebody in is a bit strange. I was thinking about it on the way back to the hotel, and I just had silicone chip inside her head, had switched to over overload. 
uh, I wrote that down. It's one of the lines of the song. Yeah. Um, I wrote that down, and the journalist interviewing her said, tell me why. It was such a senseless act. It was the perfect senseless act, and this was the perfect senseless reason for doing it. So perhaps I wrote the perfect senseless song to illustrate it. It wasn't an attempt to exploit tragedy, end quote. Yeah, despite that, Geldof said years later that he regretted writing the song because it, quote, made Brenda Spencer famous. Okay, yeah. yeah. Good. And Spencer's family tried to prevent the single from being released in the United States, but obviously they were unsuccessful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. See, like, I don't see how we can uh, stretch that into a whole whole episode. episode. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. It's kind of like cut and dry. It was like a pretty, like, quick. Which, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, The next one is probably the most famous one. And it's the one that kind of, like, inspired this episode. Um, I'm going to give out a large trigger warning for uh, suicide. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it is the song Jeremy by Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And um, it is about the death of Jeremy Dell. And do you know any of this story? I know none of this. You don't? Okay. Mm-hmm. Because this song, I visited uh, Elliot at his job today during um, during lunch. And this song came on because he works at like a, a rock place. And so this song came on and I was like, oh, I'm talking about this on the podcast today. And I was like, you are (laughs) like he had no clue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on January 8th, 1991 at Richardson High School in Richardson, Texas, 15 year old Jeremy Dell arrived late to his second period English class. His teacher, Faye Barnett, told him to go down to the office and get an attendance slip. Instead, Dell returned with a Smith and, we- Smith and Wesson 357 revolver. Just before he killed himself in front of his classmates, he turned to his teacher and said, Miss, I got what I really went for. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Um, another student, Brian Jackson, had been out in the hall near his locker at the time when he heard a loud bang. Quote, oh. like someone had slammed a book on a desk. End quote. He went on to say, quote, I thought they were just doing a play or something, but then I heard a scream and a blonde girl came running out of the classroom and she was crying, end quote. When he peeked in the door of the classroom, Jackson saw Adele bleeding on the floor and realized what had happened. He said, quote, the teacher was standing against the wall crying and shaking. Some people were standing around her, holding her as if to keep her up from falling, mm-hmm. end quote. Another student, junior Howard Paree Fellman, uh, who was in a different classroom at the time, heard the shot and recalled joking about the noise with fellow students thinking, like Jackson, that it was some kind of play or a joke. Quote, but then we heard a girl running down the hall screaming, it was a scream from the heart, end quote. Yeah. I mean, that's we talked about that in the Columbine episodes. People heard the shots and they were like, someone's setting off like fireworks? Like, is someone doing like those little pop things? Um, so like, if you're not in the right place for something like that you like you don't have the right context especially this is 1991 so this yeah. is before columbine so this you're not expecting to hear a gun when you're at school and it's 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 interesting it's interesting but it's sad because now you hear like pop, pop yeah, pops now- and you assume it's a gun when it's fireworks or when it's yeah. like yeah now people are like that's kind of at the forefront of more people's minds but it was yeah. like kind of outside the realm of possibility for these kids at this time. Yeah. Um, 
But Brittany King was in the classroom when it happened. She recalled in a 2018 interview, quote, this was a big wake up call. Like, you know what? Life's not all hunky dory all the time. Real things, tragedies happen. It made me grow up pretty quickly, literally overnight, end quote. Yeah. She was 15. Yeah. Like, how do you, you don't recover from that? No, never. Dell was a sophomore who had transferred to Richardson just a few months earlier. No one who was interviewed oh. mentioned anything unusual about him. He was described as, quote, sad and shy end quote, mm -hmm. but nothing that seemed like a cause for concern. I mean, he was at a new school. He's 15 years old yeah. at a new school. Like, it's going to be awkward for a little bit. I like, mean, is that is that easy on anyone? No. And even even if you're not at a new school, you're 15. Yeah, you're going to be sad and shy. Yeah, that's 15. Taylor Swift's got a whole fucking song about it. <laughs> right. However, Lisa Moore, who knew Dell from the in-school suspension program, used to pass notes to him throughout the day. According to Moore, he always signed his notes a certain way. The day before his suicide, however, he deviated from the norm. Mm. She said, quote, he and I would pass notes back and forth and he would talk about and he would talk about life and stuff. He signed all of his notes right back. But on Monday, January 7th, the day before, he wrote later days. I didn't know no. what to make of it, but I never thought that this would happen, end quote. And like, why would you? Yeah. Like, that's, that, again, it's like, how could you even fathom something like that? That's not your fault. Like, no, no, no definitely like, not. Yeah. Another so... student, Sean Forrester, said, quote, he never looked like he had anything wrong with him. He always made a joke over everything, end quote. And it's, uh, this is also just to say, just because somebody seems happy and seems yep. like joking does not mean that uh, they are immune from sadness or depression or mental health struggles or anything like that. Like mm -hmm. always check up on check up on your people, everybody. Right. Um, uh, but there were things in Dell's life that he was struggling with. According to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Dell had been struggling psychologically and had spent some time as a hospital bound student at a psychiatric hospital. His attendance at school had been sporadic, and the principal had met with Dell and his father to discuss the problem. Furthermore, Dell had been in counseling with his father, who was separated from his mother. <sighs> Richardson School District spokeswoman Susan Dacus Wilson stated, quote, high school administrators knew he was a troubled child, and they were trying to do as much as they could for him, end quote. Um, I will say right up front that I, I read... Um, there was like a like the microfiche from um, the newspaper that day. Mm -hmm. um, they continued school that day. What? Yeah. In the article, it said like kids continued to go to classes and there were counselors on site if anybody needed anything. But I'm like, oh, my God. Not to be crass or anything. A kid shot himself in front of his class. Like, you're going to go to math next? that's like what like it's 1991 in texas but god damn that's some shit that's fucked that is something else that is something like, else can't we do like a mean girls style get everyone in the the auditorium and be like okay now we're all gonna talk about like everyone's feelings we're all gonna like try to make sense of something like this like does anybody need to talk about anything? Nope. Just fucking go to chemistry next. That's fucking crazy. That's. Oh, my God. Yeah. No wonder so when they said trauma. 
yeah, when they said the, the, they knew that he was a troubled child and they tried to do as much as they could for him, I was like, you're not really doing as much as you can for the students that are at your school <laughs> still. I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty fucked, but what else? So Pearl Jam's song, however, describes a completely different child than um, what the family will say about Dell. Uh, one who wasn't paid any attention at home and whose parents all but ignored several cries for help. Close friends and family of Dell's claim that that could not be farther from the truth. Brittany King spoke out against the song when it was released, claiming it wasn't an accurate picture. Quote, I was angry at them for writing that song. I thought, you don't know. You weren't there. That story is not accurate. End quote. Dell's parents, Joseph Dell and Wanda Crane, had been divorced and Dell was living with his father at the time of his death. Neither of them had been contacted about the song, and it seemed that both of them had their issues with it, mostly that it whittled their son down to nothing more than his horrific death. Mm -hmm. Joseph Dell issued a statement on the subject referring to the fact that, quote-unquote, fans of his son leave notes on his grave as the band has capitalized on this father's grief. Quote, Always, always, they are lured in by the song and speak of their adoration of Eddie Vedder. My anguish is just as deep with each call, note, or email. People who never met him, or never knew him, chose to write a song, produced a video, and wrote many articles about that day. People who never had a personal relationship with him condensed his life to one day. There was so much more to Jeremy's life than that fateful day. End quote. Yeah. Vetter claimed that he considered reaching out to Dell's family prior to writing the song, but, quote, felt like he was intruding. End quote. If you felt if like you, think, you were intruding. Exactly. Like, if you feel like you're intruding writing the song, guess how it's going to feel when it like gets heard by a million people? Eddie. Come on. Come on, man. He you admits know. That he, he, he admits that he deduced that uh, Dell had been ignored by his parents without ever speaking to them. You're smart enough to know the word deduced, but you're not smart enough to think that maybe this I is a fucked up I don't think he said idea. the word deduced. The article that I was reading said deduced. <laughs> Um, so Dell's mother, Wanda, has been more vocal recently on the subject of her Good. son's death and the ongoing grief that she deals with. She said in a 2018 interview, quote, that day he died did not define his life. He was a son, a brother, a nephew, a cousin, a friend. He was so talented, mm -hmm. end quote. Mm -hmm. She added that she watches the news and hears stories of numerous school shootings uh, reported recently, and she feels a kinship with their families, saying, quote, I think of the mothers. I think of the sisters. I think what will be said, uh, I think what it'll be said or what opinions will be thought about the student. It's the mothers and the sisters that I want to wrap in my arms around and tell them that someday it'll be better. End quote. Yeah. And um, I just want to throw it out there. If you or someone you know is experiencing anything similar to Jeremy Dell's pain, you can call or text 988 to contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can also visit 988lifeline.org for resources and help. And that's in the U.S.? That is in the U.S. Mm. Um, so the song was, it's, again, it's called Jeremy. It's by Pearl Jam. The song was the third single from the debut album 10, which came out in 1992. And the song became the most successful from the album on the American rock charts. It peaked at number five on the U S billboard album, rock tracks and billboard modern, modern rock tracks charts. Wow. It was certified gold by RIAA. Uh, it reached 
the top 40 on the Canadian singles charts. It also reached the UK top 20, peaked at number 93 in Germany, reached the top 40 in New Zealand, and was a top 10 success in Ireland. It did not originally chart on the uh, regular Billboard Hot 100 singles since it was not released as a commercial single in the US at that time, but it was re-released in July 1995, and it brought it up to number 79. Um, at the 1993 Grammys, it received a nomination for Best Rock Song and Best Hard Rock Performance. Wow. Yeah. Chris True of All Music said that Jeremy is where Pearl Jam mania galvanized and propelled the band past the Seattle sound and into rock royalty. Hmm. He described it as a classic build-up tune and proclaimed that it proclaimed it as arguably Pearl Jam's most earnest work and one of their most successful singles. Uh, Steven, Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Steven M. Dusner of Pitchfork said, quote, Jeremy is the, mo- is the most past Freudian psychodrama on the album full of them. On an album full of them, end quote. I, I'm going to be honest here. I fucking hate Pitchfork reviews. <laughs> but whatever. Um, there's like, too much. It's it's the difference between we were talking about this in another episode. It's the b- difference between a movie and a film. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. And, and they treat songs as uh, musical. Yes. Yeah. They treat songs as film. <laughs> uh, we it, just like whatever. the movie. Yeah. Um, it is listed at number eleven on VH1's countdown of the hundred greatest songs of the nineties. And in 1993, the Jeremy video was awarded four MTV Music Video Awards, including Best Video of the Year. Damn. I will recommend, uh, I would say don't watch the video. It's like kind of graphic. Oh. Yeah. So I, it's not great. Um, but those are my stories. Wow. that Those are good stories. Thanks. I have a couple more that I will um, probably throw out there for another episode later on and if anyone has any suggestions um you know where you can put those suggestions in our discord yeah join our discord um you have to uh get a secret password to join the discord it's like a speakeasy of a discord yes there we go i love this for us (laughs) so you to join our speakeasy discord you have to message us on all, any of our other platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for the time being, Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> made it another week, maybe. Maybe. Or you can email us, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Um, we also have a website, uh, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, but reach out to us on any of our social media and we will get you that link so you can join our Discord and join the conversation. We've got pictures of cats on there. We're talking about new true crime docs that are coming out. We're talking about the episode that you're listening to right now. Uh, we're doing recommendations. If you like reading, if you like music, if you like watching movies and films. <laughs> We have recommendations for you. Um, like I said, there's photos of my cat there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have existential crises, crises mm-hmm. in uh, in there. So you can come, you can contribute, you can lurk, you can just, you know, be a part of it. Yeah. So join the Discord. Follow us on all of our things. And I guess we're 
I, I think. See you next. I was gonna Tuesday. say. I think that's everything. Is it? Is it, it is. Tuesday? Or, or is it? My, it's Tuesday. Every it's Tuesday? time this episode comes out, it's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. No, I'm being facetious. But I. That's how you know that you're good. Everybody is when you fooled the person who could actually see you asking this. Is it? I wasn't looking at you. It's only been Tuesday for like five years. I've also been looking at your cat, so that's fine. And we do mean cat in the literal like mammal sense of the word. Um, Are you going to talk about my puss? (laughs) You staring at my puss this whole episode? I have. And let me tell you, delightfully fluffy. Good. (laughs) Try to keep it that way. Um, This has gone off the rails. We need to leave. We do. Um, so, oh, and next week is the last episode of the month, so it is the Patreon poll pick, Woo! and wait till you hear it. It is going to be a doozy. Y'all, this is, oh, they picked something. They picked. <laughs> they picked something. Definitely a lot picked. of work for us. Um, hey, but we're we going to see you. It's our own undoing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and happy turkey eating holiday. Oh, yeah. If you're eating turkey this year, go for it. Go off. Just remember, like, you know, fuck Columbus. Still, it's not about Columbus. after all this time. No, but it's it's always. it's always fuck Columbus. Always wash your hands. Always wear your mask. Always get vaccinated and boosted. Um, yeah. But just, you know, remember that we're not all like, oh, and everybody shared and cared. And then we gave them smallpox blankets. Yeah. So just eat your turkey, but don't, like, actually, like celebrate just be, celebrate be thankful for turkey yeah thankful for turkey thankful for uh everything good for bean yeah if you're thankful for bean shout them out yeah from the rooftops bean all right all right i gotta get to my room so okay bye bye, bye.